Welcome back to the next installment of the Rocky Mountain Myrick Short Takes on Suicide Prevention podcast. I'm your host, Adam Hoffberg, and we are broadcasting today from the VA DOD Suicide Prevention Conference. And we're excited to be in Nashville, Tennessee to talk to some amazing experts in the field of burnout. So welcome. Thank Great. You. Thanks. So uh, maybe let's just go around. Uh, I have four of you in the room. So let's go around and give a little introductions and kind of talk about who you are and, and what you do here. Sure. So um, I'm Jason Chen. I'm a psychologist and a suicide prevention researcher at the Center to Improve Veteran Involvement in Care, which is at the Portland, Oregon VA, not to be confused with the Portland, Maine one, which people often ask me about. And uh, I got interested in this topic just in, you know, working with our staff and trainees and thinking about, you know, how we can make uh, more safe environments for them. That's how I got into the burnout area. And my name's Mona Ray Mogadam. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and suicide prevention coordinator for the VA Portland Healthcare System. And I've been um, in a team lead role for about two and a half years. And um, earlier last year, I started noticing that I was experiencing some of my own symptoms of burnout that I didn't recognize for quite some time. So this has been an interest of mine, and I think it's an important topic to talk about. Uh, My name is Kyla Tompkins. I'm a sociologist and a researcher at the Portland VA. I work with Dr. Lauren Dennison. And we focus on suicide risk and resilience. So in a project that we're working on together, I interviewed 50 veterans about their recent suicide attempts and did experience my own types of burnout, um, which as a sociologist, I was not aware of the concept at all. So I'm excited to talk to you about researchers experiencing burnout. My name's Aaron Barrow. I work in a residential facility for veterans in Vancouver, Washington, Uh, and I've definitely experienced my own uh, level of burnout. Uh, a few years back, and uh, have been kind of clawing my way out ever since, and, and uh, was sharing with the, uh, the group today, yesterday, today. Great. Well, again, thank you all for joining us. Just a little context for our listeners. So this was a panel that presented yesterday, and we wanted to kind of bring you guys back on to, to make sure that uh, we captured this important uh, presentation and, and this important work going on. So let's kind of start from the beginning, which is, you know, what is burnout? What are some other words for burnout that, you know, let's get some folks familiar with, with what is this topic that we're covering today. So, Jason, do you want to take that one? Sure. So, um, I think burnout is one of those words that has a lot of different meanings. And there's sort of like the literature meaning, which has to do with more systems level things, frustration with bureaucracy. But we try to think of it really broadly. So all those things like compassion fatigue, vicarious trauma, secondary traumatic stress, um, just how our jobs impact us over time and lead us to maybe be less engaged and also experience a lot of personal distress, which then impacts you know how our relationships and our health. So that's kind of how I think about for burnout, and at least lately it seems like burnout is the term that's easiest for everyone to understand, so that's the one we've been using. Great. Yeah, and, and as we all know, you know, working in suicide prevention is, is very rewarding work, but very challenging work. So I wonder if you all could tell us a little bit more about your experiences and maybe um, a bit about, you know, what contributed to those feelings of burnout. I think I remember the first time I, I had a veteran who I was working with. He, he died uh, through suicide, and uh, I remember hearing about it at work and just feeling like a ton of bricks had hit me across the side of the head. But I, I had the sense uh, or the idea that you don't talk about this sort of thing too much. And uh, after a brief 
chat with a couple coworkers, I just kind of shoved it down. But it's uh, things like that, and I mean a lot of different experiences that are difficult to kind of manage that I didn't talk about that kind of elevated that feeling of burnout, uh, compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. And just seeing veterans coming into the program and working really hard to help them get on their feet and then just go out and uh, have the disease of addiction just, just beat the crap out of them and have them come back uh, really messed up over and over again. You kind of you lose a bit of hope that you can actually help people. Mm. Yeah, that's really powerful. And also wanted to go into that a little bit more. With You said sometimes you had to kind of hold it in or, or hold it back. Uh, is there stigma around burnout, or what, what's going on with that experience? Uh, yeah, I think personal stigma. Um, I didn't want people to think I couldn't do my job, or uh-huh. you know, I wasn't up to the task of taking care of people. I mean, if my job is to make you better, and I can't make me better, then how, how does that make me as a clinician? You know, absolutely. Um, sure, and I'll share a bit too. Um, so mine. I think started around the time um, I had kind of an intersection in my personal life of um, my mom having some serious health issues around the time I became our team lead for suicide prevention. And so there was a significant need. Um, I was being pulled in multiple directions. The role as a team lead, um, just the responsibility was exponentially more than what I was accustomed to being a line suicide prevention coordinator. And while I really did and have enjoyed um, the role, it actually took a lot more out of me, and I didn't realize for quite some time the impact that it was having in terms of my um, the quality of my work, my productivity, um, just feeling like I was being an effective person. It was really challenging my um, sense of my work ethic. Um, I felt really checked out a lot of times, and at this point still kind of struggle with that. It was having some effects on my um, physical and emotional health. And again, it wasn't something I recognized for quite some time, but um, it is something that I've been trying to uh, better understand so that I, much to like what Aaron was saying, um, you know, we're expected, you know, we, we can't take care of other people without taking care of ourselves. And I was, I've been recognizing I'm not, I haven't been in the best um, frame of mind all the time to be dedicating um, the energy I need to to be an effective lead for my team and so I've been trying to work on that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, You mentioned this idea that we don't always recognize these signs in ourselves or we're not always aware that we're experiencing burnout. Uh, Could you go into that a little bit more and also talk to us about maybe what are the signs that we can start to notice in ourselves and in our colleagues for that matter? I think that there's, I'll speak for myself, but I noticed this with other colleagues that have worked in mental health over the years, is there's just very much a sense of, well, we know what the coping strategies are. We know what we're supposed to be doing because we talk to our patients about this all the time. And so kind of a, maybe not always walking the talk. And, um, you know, I know what these things are, so I can just do it myself and I don't need to ask for help. I don't need to, you know, I'm just going to push through it. Just kind of a sense of um, just kind of, feeling like we have a sense of mastery over it. Therefore, we don't need to um, necessarily take more specific steps in that direction. Some of the signs that um, I experienced um, when I started recognizing this more was, um, kind of as I mentioned earlier, it it affected my work, um, my, my productivity, my feeling of 
just my ability to, to, to organize myself every day and um, was getting overwhelmed much quicker than I used to with the amount of um, thing, tasks that I used to be able to manage quite a lot more easy. Uh, but it was affecting my mood. I was noticing quite a bit more irritability and my anxiety, um, probably related to the fact that I was also experiencing a lot of insomnia around the time, and mm. um, and just and then just kind of some you know even some emotional numbness when it came to my job. I mean, this has been um, I've been in a coordinator at the VA in suicide prevention for almost eight years, and it's something that I feel very passionate about and I really love doing, and I was not feeling that as profoundly as I used to, and that was kind of a, a big warning sign for me. Hmm. That's really helpful. Yeah, I would like to add um, social withdrawal can be a sign for me. I'm really extroverted, so the folks in my office know that if I'm quiet, there's probably something up. More of that was happening. Um, I screen a lot of suicide behavior reports for my work to identify patients who have attempted suicide. Um, and then in the past year, I interviewed 50 of them. And, and after the interviews, at times, um, a significantly difficult one would leave me just feeling kind of spacey and, and really tired after. And I didn't quite understand. I thought maybe I had a really big lunch or something. Um, but I realized after a time that I, I was disassociating. I was going to this different astral plane and just trying to cope with what I just heard. And and I like to use the word vicarious trauma because you hear really difficult stories over and over again. And, and while they might be powerful um, and, and really important to hear, uh, you have to learn how to, to deal with the information that you're being bombarded with. Um, so for me... The disassociation was kind of what made me realize, like, hey, something's up, Um, especially as someone who doesn't work in psychology or as a clinician, Um, and definitely increased anxiety. Uh, So, yeah, I would say um, watching out for your coworkers to see if their behaviors change is really helpful, but uh, you kind of have to do that work yourself, you know, just realizing that you are acting different and it's not for the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's so important you mentioned that, you know, this this sense of vicarious trauma can come no matter your role in this. You know, you don't have to be a clinician. You could be a researcher. You could be somebody who's answering phones and scheduling calls or even, you know, it, it, it really is uh, in this area, you know, we're working with very difficult and, and challenging patients and populations, and it's just, uh, it's tough work. Jason, did you want to add anything? Yeah, um, you know, echo what Kyla said about I am pretty socially active and realizing I wasn't maybe doing as much or um, I enjoy reading. And there was a day a few years ago where I was like, I don't think I've read a book in six months. What have I been doing? And it was that moment where I realized that sometimes, you know, you're just so tired and you get home, you just like watch TV or zone out and maybe you're not doing the things that you enjoy anymore. That was definitely important for me to realize that, oh, maybe this isn't working. But it took time, and I think that's something that um, we talked about yesterday at our panel, and we had a great audience that was really uh, open with us. We started off by saying, like, you know, like sort of like uh, uh, Dr. Carroll was saying, our, um, our VA director of the Office of Mental Health and Suicide Prevention, about getting vulnerable. So he said, you know, we're going to be vulnerable with you, and we hope you'll be vulnerable with us. And I felt like our attendees were really open with us. 
Yeah, that's, it's really helpful to hear how it looks and how it can play out in different people and sort of just, like you said, almost like keeping aware of yourself and changes from your sort of baseline levels and then being aware of that. And so, so obviously once we're aware of this, you know, we want to try to try to help build our resiliency and cope better. So talk to us through some strategies that you all have utilized that have worked. And, and also, let's be honest, maybe some haven't worked and, you know, let's talk through those too. So for me, self-care is really important. Uh, I would like to share that before experiencing vicarious trauma and burnout, I kind of laughed at the idea of self-care because it's a buzzword. Um, And I thought that it didn't really apply to me because bubble baths don't work on everyone. Self-care is really personalized. I've learned that the hard way this year. Um, So for me, uh, physical activity is is really helpful. And and that's just taking walks. I'm not a jogger or anything like intense, uh, just taking walks at work in a home, um, and, uh, relying on social support is good, but in this kind of work, um, there's something important to not reliving the vicarious trauma, not doing a third wave of vicarious trauma. So when I would, uh, come back from my interviews, I, I learned over time that, um, it felt really bad when my colleagues would ask, how did the interview go? Uh, and they didn't know what they were doing, of course, but I, I would just shut down and, and I would I would kind of just grin and bear it and, and talk about the stories I had just heard um, from a distance, but I would still reshare it. And, and then I, at some point, um, we had a conversation and I was like, you know, I really don't want to go through this again. I don't want to talk about this again. Um, sure, I, I love talking with my coworkers, but at some point you have to just kind of draw a boundary of this is really this is really wearing work and there's sometimes you just have to put it in the drawer mm-hmm. and and get it back out tomorrow morning great I, I can uh, roll with Kyla on walking being my favorite coping tool I probably walk a couple miles a day now and I try to do it without uh, podcast playing or music or headphones or something that kind of takes me out of the moment um, I also talk to people I work with into going on walks regularly so that's sort of because it's good for them, and it's good for me, and it's easier than just sitting across an office staring at somebody while you're having a therapy session. Of, well, I shouldn't say therapy session. I'm a peer specialist, so having a, um, a recovery session. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that I find extremely important is the group model. Um, I go to several support groups a week. I swear by it. Uh, there's something about just being able to share um, some of the challenges that you're having in a group setting and hearing other people share their challenges too so you kind of feel that sense of connection and ownership from other people that is just phenomenal and if I if I miss out on it like I'm not um, going to my usual meetings this week so I'm here so you kind of feel the wolves clawing at the door after a while mm-hmm. so it's really really helpful there's something I can't explain why it helps so much but it's like a key in a lock it kind of unlocks something that, that's very healing yeah, yeah, I'm glad you touched on that idea that it's kind of ongoing. It's not like I did this and now my self-care is done. It's, yeah. it's ongoing. It's a daily walk. Oh. It's a weekly group. Yeah. Absolutely has to be um, something that, that's regular. And, 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 and that sounds a little scary, but really, you start feeling better after a while. And after you start feeling better, then you don't want to stop doing the self-care stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, why would you stop doing something that makes you feel good? That sort of thing. So it is an ongoing process, but it's also um, can be a very enriching and joyful process. Excellent. And I, I just want to 
circle back to Jason's comment about vulnerability and just, you know, thank you all for sharing this and, and being vulnerable because it is something that, you know, we don't talk about enough and also just, you know, we do all experience. So I'm just glad that we're sharing the space, you know, to, to make room for that. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you, Jason? Uh, one thing I've heard that I found helpful is really trying to make self-care non-negotiable. So it's like, these are the things that I do to, you know, stay well. And one of those things is I always exercise after work because I find that really helpful. Um, and I, there are days, like, I don't maybe feel like it, but I'm reminded just like I tell my clients, sometimes we don't feel like it. But if it's something we really want to do, we have to just push past that. So I remind myself of that every day. And um, also being just, uh, I think think it's something we all talk about, just open to talking with colleagues about it. And I had a supervisor that was like, if something's sticking to you that you think you're going to go home and keep thinking about, call me. And I tried to do that for myself and for everyone. Just like, I'd rather we just talk about it now and, you know, kind of get some time to process it than someone going home and just being like, oh, I feel terrible. Um, there have been a few things for me that I have found to be helpful. Um, one has been an ongoing practice in that um, I work on a team. There are six of us as suicide prevention coordinators. And I've always practiced and encouraged my team members to practice just talking to each other. We're in fairly regular communication, um, whether it's something mundane about our day or something challenging that we needed to brief about. No one else in our entire system understands the work that we do outside of our team better than we do for each other. And that part, just having that sense of support and understanding and just empathy is is validating to me. And so I, I turn to that a lot. What I, with what Jason was saying, and actually Kyla and Aaron as well, physical activity is super helpful. Um, I do long-distance running, and so I've been trying to be more deliberate and intentional about doing my um, um, some runs during my lunchtime. Um, and that's a, that's a great break. And trying to not wait until 3 o'clock in the afternoon to do that. This is kind of a undoing some habits that I've had, which is uh, maybe eating lunch while I'm checking my email. Um, there's a lot of multitasking that goes on with my job. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and making a concerted effort to take breaks and not wait until it's late late in the afternoon and I'm feeling so fried, but I'm just trying to push through it and just trying to recognize sooner that whether I need it or not, I need to, I, I should take a break. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also not, um, not working over and checking emails in the evenings and the weekends as much as possible. That is, there are habits I've developed that I'm trying to undo. Absolutely. Yeah, one of the amazing things I feel about having this conference is it's it's incredible to see like suicide prevention coordinators and and people from across the world of suicide prevention come together and because it is kind of like a bigger circle similar to your smaller team where it's like these are all people who get it. These are all people who are doing their, you know, version of what I'm doing back in their local community and like I, I just I think it's important, so important that, you know, the VA and DOD make space for, for this kind of uh, conference to allow people that outlet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that really struck me was just, uh, I think we can all relate to the idea of trying to multitask and, you know, but typing up emails during your lunch and this and that, and just reminding ourselves, like you mentioned earlier, you know, that, to walk the walk, not just talk about self-care, but really do it and, and 
and that segmentation of just when I'm not working, not be looking at my email. And when I'm, when I am working, of course I'm on my email, but just realizing that those breaks, you know, I, I can probably speak for all of us. We feel like there's so much work to do. It's like, well, if I cut this break out, I can, you know, get more done. But, uh, the bottom line is we lose something in the long run when we, when we take those shortcuts. So. I think she mentioned something else, too, that, that's really important is how uh, key it is to have a supportive relationship with your coworkers. And uh, something that a lot of the people we talked with at the panel yesterday said is that they're not feeling like they get that level of support where they work from their supervision on up. Um, and, uh, frankly, if you're working with a bunch of other people who are burned out, neg- that negative vibe can be kind of all-consuming. And I know I've spent a lot of time complaining and a lot of time being very negative and a lot of time tearing down the people um, I serve instead of building them up in staff meetings and in personal interactions. And uh, it's sort of, negativity is very contagious. And so what I found is also a pretty big key is to be uh, positive and to sow positivity and to create a space where it's okay for my coworkers to be positive and vulnerable. Um, and that's kind of an ongoing process, too. Uh, you know, a kind of sort of labor of love um, to be positive on a regular basis and to smile and to build other people up and, and to try and put a positive spin on a, a veteran's challenges in staff meetings. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we'll, someone will be having a really hard time and everybody kind of has this, um, this point of view where they're, oh, well, it's just, you know, this is what's wrong with them and this is what they're doing wrong. And, and says, no, you know, I, I think if I was faced with that challenge, this is how I would feel, too, and sort of bringing the human perspective to the people we work with instead of just starting to see them as numbers or I, I don't know if numbers is the right way to describe it. Yeah, I think what Aaron is saying is basically kind of the concept of self-compassion, too. Mm. It's not just being positive towards others. It starts with being positive towards yourself, and if you can forgive yourself for being irritable and human. maybe mean yeah human mean towards your coworkers one day um it's kind of where the work begins if you can do that and be kind to yourself then it's a lot easier to be forgiving and understanding of others and then more gets done these conversations start to happen um, we get vulnerable with each other and honest and just get a lot further do you all feel that at like the systems level? I know Jason, you, you know, you, in your definition, you talked about you know it can be a very kind of individual thing, but also like a systems level about how we address. Uh, where what are some directions we can go to like improve our our workspace and our workflow to bolster resiliency? Yeah, at least one way we so I run a staff wellness group for our center, and one way we approach is to really think through the whole process of the types of work people are doing and different areas where we can build in um, you know, more safety and support. So if someone has a lot of intense participants back-to-back, how can we help folks find ways to make space you know, before and after for that? So I think trying to think more globally, at least I find it helpful, like not just what I'm doing you know, in that moment, but the whole process of how I can build in time for self-care. Um, Otherwise, I feel like it slowly kind of bleeds away until very soon I've forgotten to do it. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, 
Great. Well, what I wanted to do maybe now as we start to wind down is, is let each of you go around and kind of give some closing thoughts or, or parting words, uh, maybe uh, advice to somebody else who might be experiencing this or just thinking through this for the first time and realizing, oh, that sounds a little bit like me and how can I you know, work through this? I would say that just being aware of all the problems in the world, to say it broadly, isn't enough to realize that you're being affected by them. That was kind of my problem. I'm a sociologist, and I won't speak for all of us, but hopelessness is kind of uh, in our game. You know, we learn about every fiber of social inequality and and how class and race and gender uh, shape our lives in ways that we can't always necessarily control. Um, so that being said, just knowing how all of these systems are made up isn't enough to realize you realize that you're a part in it um so i would say that for me it kind of just took an outward look um ignoring ignoring all of the nitty-gritty of my work um stopping and, and just looking at me just looking at how i was behaving not thinking about how the work is going but how the work is affecting me um i feel like that's a lot more difficult to do without specific advice but unfortunately it's just really personal for everyone um but if you can find a way to force some reflection uh that's where the work begins thank you for that uh i guess just the idea that that recovery is a journey not a destination um that that you're never going to be done and that's okay you know um there's always the um the the chance that if you stop doing the work you'll end up back where you started so it's good to continue on and to learn new things. Uh, something that makes it a very fulfilling process to me is to add to that journey on a regular basis. So now walks are great, but now maybe I'm eating a bit more fiber. Maybe I'm taking some vitamins. Maybe I'm, I always bring up food as an example, but uh, maybe I'm uh, having a conversation um, with one of my coworkers about a challenging um, situation where maybe I, I would have just stopped it before. So the, constantly finding new tools and trying them out. Some things work better and some, some things don't. Some of the tools you're just going to throw back on the toolbox and they're going to get all dusty and that's okay. And, but keep looking and keep searching and keep talking and keep um, doing your best to, to be better. You know, We can't really help other people unless we're really working to help ourselves at the end of the day. And I think that's the biggest takeaway I've had. Um, okay, the biggest one is the continual process, but the second biggest <laughs> is like, if I'm not being good to myself, how can I be good to others? Yeah, and just to echo what folks have said, um, just how individual this is. And one thing I'm always aware of when we do talks about burnout is really emphasize we don't have the answers for every person. Mm-hmm. Um, but our hope in pulling together a really diverse panel is that people could hear different voices. Maybe that will help people find their own voice in this. And that there is an answer. It's just that sometimes it takes some time to find it. And that answer can change and to be patient with ourselves and each other. And for me, I'd I'd like to just um, say that in preparing for this presentation, I mean, we've been in communication, the four of us, for months now. And just um, the idea when... Jason proposed um, this presentation, we started talking about it, and it be- I immediately felt this sense of invigoration at just the acknowledgement that we were talking about it. 
and bringing it to the surface and it didn't have to feel like this was something that I was doing on my own. And so I think it's really important to continue the conversation because it's not something I think that's really talked about enough, um, maybe not just within mental health, but really specific to this field is you know kind of fairly new in the grand scheme of things and to really continue that conversation and to allow that there to be a space for people to um, you know share and have more kind of pathways for support um, and so they can recognize the signs for themselves and um, really work on um, you know that journey of recovery it's you know what Aaron was talking about is so important um, to be able to uh, build upon that so mm-hmm. absolutely and I feel like that was a nice uh, circle back because you know I hope that this podcast is another vehicle to kind of continue the conversation and to help put it out there and we hope that you know listeners if you have any um, reactions or responses or comments we'd love to hear from you and you know we'll certainly put some links and resources with the podcast notes so you can feel free to reach out to us with any uh, thoughts or questions that you have Well, that's going to do it for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in and join us next time for more interviews on important work in suicide prevention, mental health, and resilience. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on the Short Takes on Suicide Prevention podcast. The podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Rocky Mountain MIREC for veteran suicide prevention out of the Rocky Mountain Regional VA Medical Center in Colorado. Be sure to visit our website at www.myrec.va.gov slash vision19. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, head over to your favorite podcasting app to subscribe and give us a rating and spread the word. Tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in every other Tuesday for new episodes. Our mission is to end veteran and all suicide. And when you listen to our show, you see the possibilities.